it's almost like, should I be asking that after all those years of school, after all the investment I've made, there, there can be this assessment of what's wrong with me that I can't just be happy with where I am. I work so hard to get here. And I think it's actually, you know, acknowledging that that's a, that's a feeling or a perception that you have, and it's absolutely okay to want to grow again. Let's face it, burnout amongst doctors is sky high and we're actively seeking other ways to make the most of our transferable skills beyond the usual career pathways. Welcome to Disrupting Doctors' Careers. I'm your host, Dr. Abena Bubbers-Jones, and I'm on a mission to connect one million doctors across the world with the best in diverse career opportunities. Welcome to the Disrupting Doctors Careers podcast, Amy. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm excited to be here and see you again. You know, the last conversation we had was so juicy. I'm glad to be here. It was really juicy. And what I love about you is you're Canadian, number one. I love Canadians, but we'll talk about that another time. Okay. (laughs) You are a really highly influential woman, entrepreneur, from a nursing background who's used your expertise um, to really support other women, other professionals, other doctors. So you have a lot of insights to share for the UK and the global medical community on career change, becoming a a high impact performer in whichever sector they choose to go in, um, that kind of thing. So it'd be really great actually to get a little bit of a taste of a background about what you're what you what you're doing now what is your core kind of work that you're doing now that you're interested in yeah thank you for that question and um and so my my specialty is women leading impact projects initiatives teams in healthcare be it Mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur or within an organization Mm -hmm. and there's a reason it's women and it's because women tend to rise to a certain level and then they don't get into the decision-making positions, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And they either then go off into entrepreneurship because then they can design their own path. And so I have a deep passion because that's what I did, right? And so yeah. I, I really, I do enjoy working with my founders. And then also for those who are in the system and looking to get to that place of decision-making, autonomy and authority so that they can influence the direction of a system. Um, and I also work with executive teams. So of course I work with men and it's essential to work with all if we're going to make change in a system. But my specialty is women leading in, um, healthcare sectors, either as an entrepreneur or as a leader inside an organization. Thank you so much for clarifying that, Amy. And that leads to my next question about your journey to today. Oh, that. <laughs> You can, we, we can do an overview, you can do like a summary, high-level summary. Right. Um, obviously, you came from a nursing background. I did. So what was that journey like? Yeah, I mean, I loved my career in nursing. I did pediatric critical care for um, many years, well over a decade, and then advanced into advanced practice nursing and did sort of a clinical nurse specialist role for a number of years. And it was in that role where I, it just became glaringly evident that I did not know what leadership was in terms of how to enact 
as a leader. I mean, I knew the qualities of leadership I admired, and I think I did those well. But in terms of building effective teams and leading projects and being able to take initiative, I mean, it was trial by fire. You just, I just moved through the system um, and got accepted into positions and jobs, but it didn't have the mentorship, the development. And I think the system, that's the system in itself, that the investment and development and leadership skills was missing. Um, and that's why I work with the leaders in the system now, because I know it's a gap. Um, and I know what it feels like to be <laughs> trying to make a difference because you care and yet knowing you're missing something and you can't even see what you're missing. Yeah. So um, I'll share a quick story, though, on how I actually landed into this coaching world. Mm -hmm. And it's because at the time I was teaching in academia, as well as doing this clinical nurse specialist role. And I went to a career workshop that was run by a nurse who was also an entrepreneur and a coach. And at the end of the workshop, it was sort of like, am I going to do this PhD thing? Or am I going to stay in the hospital system? What am I going to do? And I left that saying, I want to do what she does. I want to start my own business. I want to be a coach. I want to help people live into their potential. And so that's how that, I didn't know what coaching was before that. So that's how I landed here. Great. Thank you so much. Because I, I find, particularly in healthcare medicine, there tends to be a lot of women. So yes. the majority of healthcare professionals are women. Yeah. Um, the majority of doctors are now women because that has changed over the years. Um, and we do see a lot of women doctors, as well as male doctors, but women doctors who are looking for greater autonomy in their careers within medicine and outside of medicine and actually seem to be more likely to go into as an alternative into things like coaching mm -hmm. uh, lifestyle coaching lifestyle medicine what like wellness centric um sectors um so it's it's really interesting to hear about what you do with women in particular because it's such an important niche because I feel that women can actually make such a huge impact in the world in so many different ways. And it's one of the, we know, kind of untapped resources of the world itself already. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, what, what, kind, of, what kind of work do you do with, so do you work with many physicians and doctors at the moment, for example, or have you done in the past? Yes, I have. Um, it's, not, it's not only physicians, though. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all healthcare backgrounds professionals, um, mm -hmm. including health tech. And so, so, but what, what is, I don't know where to begin, to be honest, because there's so much here, but it's, you know, it, the, the idea of what you're sharing is that they go into, you're seeing a trend where physicians are moving into more well-being um, industries, right? Yeah. Where they can use their talents in a way to, well, isn't that exactly often why they started out on the journey? Because they wanted to make a difference. They wanted to contribute to health and well-being. Some of them love the pathophysiology and that the, the figuring out of the puzzle in order to support well-being as well. Um, so there's that, you know, that sometimes there's that quest for understanding what makes people unwell and how can I help there. But ultimately, the, the brush stroke across is they want to make a difference and they want to support health and well-being. And then they enter a system in which it can become really difficult to fulfill that ambition in a way that also allows you to take care of yourself. Why is it so difficult? So 
mean, we, all, we, we know about the system in, in the US. So, well, you do, but we had a podcast on the US. We know about the problems in the NHS in the UK, and there are problems that are replicated elsewhere. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, Canada. What, what problems do healthcare professionals or doctors face that then sure. them out to be doing things for themselves in the wider wellness and healthcare industries? Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, uh, I think it actually begins in the beginning when you are in medical school and you begin your your first year internship and then your residency. And I think the system here, based on the clients I speak with in the U.S., is very similar, although we have a publicly funded system uh, versus a private payer system overall. Um, I think the training programs have a lot of the same cultural norms in that you are expected to not only show up and perform, but do it for extended, prolonged, really unreasonable timeframes and hours, right? And be responsible for lives of other people and making good decisions. And so you get this sort of embodiment of, of that experience. You learn that this is the way that I need to push myself through. And of course, you're a physician and I'm not. So I'm really going to ask you next, does this land for you, right? Because I only know from my clients and my experience with physicians, not as a physician. And so my lived experience is different than yours. But what I listen is from a very early point on in their career is this um, acceptance that it is the normal. In fact, it's expected and sometimes celebrated for you to push through beyond your, your health, your vitality, your well-being, your relationships with your family members in order to be, be on the job, be present, be doing your role. And by the time you're finished your fellowship, at least I'm, you know, I just was coaching with a, someone who's wrapping up her fellowship after 11 long years, you know, to get to this point, right? And it's just, it's literally in her body to overwork and to then feel very uncomfortable when she's not because she's wrapping up her research. So the pace is a bit different. And she's like, what's wrong with me that I have this time? I feel guilty. So I'm not sure how um, crystal clear that answer was, but I think it begins early on that there's this sort of culture of overwork, put yourself beneath the priority list. And, and, and that is the way it continues. So let me stop there and because I'd love to check in with you and see, does that land as familiar or? That really resonates, I think, on a professional and personal level. Because um, I'm doing some work on myself at the moment through therapy and really looking at why I am the way I am. And I mean, there, obviously, there's quite a few things that, res- like, that occur from childhood but I feel that a lot of my identity as an individual and who I, who, what the way that I work is mm-hmm. learned from training as a doctor from a relatively early age. I mean, technically speaking, I was a doctor at age 22. That's very young. Yeah, it's pretty young, right? Mm-hmm. And um, going back to your, your narrative about one of your clients and the propensity to overwork and feeling uncomfortable with not doing much work, that is totally me, hands up. And um, I, I can definitely see that in most, if not all, doctors, because that's what you really need to do to actually survive in medicine. 
to to provide the service delivery to progress in your career to become do you know what I mean in order to get ahead you you need you need to to put the hours and the time in and be part of that institution and culture that drives that and yeah it's quite hard to undo it is very hard to undo yeah it becomes the water you swim in literally like you really you really learn it at a, a early stage in your career. And then you enter a system that continues to reinforce that message, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, just keep going. And, and also to frown on speaking up and saying, I need to, I need time off. Exactly. You know, that's not actually, and, and of course I'm broad stroking here. Of course, there's organizations that do this very well that support their providers differently, but in general, the, the cultural norms aren't, oh, I'm tired. I'm going to take a stretch off here. It's like, oh, well, I'm going to let my colleagues down if I do that. And they're going to have to work harder. So I'm not going to do that to them. Yeah. When do your needs become the priority? I hear that, like taking a break, um, you know, swapping a weekend, getting married. Right. A lot of my colleagues. Yeah. Like beg the rotor coordinator to be like can I can I have this weekend off because I want to get married and one of the one of the stories I heard from someone uh was that they couldn't well can't basically they could not take that weekend off but they should really be able to just swap it shouldn't they so they're going to be put in that weekend they know they're going to be getting married and they should just be able to swap it you know with their own time or whoever they can find I think especially if you're like requesting that ahead of time, it just it just highlights there's like not much respect in the system. Well, that's it, right? It's people's lives and time. Exactly. Um, and it's it, you know, not asking for much, but like, do you want to just have some time off to you know? Well, and and it sends a very um it sends a very powerful message that really you're important in terms of our service delivery, but other than that. And again, general statement, but it sends this message that, oh, you don't value me as a whole human being who has cares beyond providing service here. And that message then starts to contribute to two different things, moods of resignation that, well, this is the way it is and I can't change it, or moods of resentment whereby I am no longer able to put up with this and I'm out of here, or I'm going to find a new solution. Yeah. So it can breed these moods that are are um, that really shape what's possible for both the 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 doctors and the system, but also for the system because they're going to lose good talent. Uh-huh. I'd be really interested to hear, Amy. At what point do you see where doctors actually look at themselves and realize they need support from a coaching perspective, for example? So, for example, the, the client you mentioned. What was it that made her, after how many years of doing her fellowship? Yeah, well, actually, she came to me in residency. Okay, well, well, yeah. yeah. So, so what? What made? What? What were the triggers? Yeah, her her story, as well as those of several others, is you know this pervasive feeling: I'm not cutting it. Right. I'm not. There's something wrong with me because I feel inadequate. And I look at my colleagues and they look so confident. That's one. And the other is I feel like I'm not able to take care of the things I care about in my life. 
because I've chosen this career that I really wanted. And now I'm constantly away from the relationships that matter to me. I'm I'm not taking care of myself. I like to work out, for instance, and I'm not doing it. And that kind of adds more fuel to this feeling of inadequacy. What's wrong with me that I'm not keeping up like my colleagues are. And then there's the performance culture. And, and, you know, I've had clients that were surgeons and I would say it's really prevalent there where, and obviously we, we don't want surgeons who make a lot of mistakes, right? As we don't. But there's a way of teaching and learning that doesn't need to be punitive, embarrassing, humiliating, and and, um, erode a person's sense of self. And that can be a part of the training programs whereby people just want out of that. They want to get away from that. And sometimes they carry that tradition on to the people they mentor. Uh-huh. And so I kind of wandered off your question a little bit, but what they come anywhere along the trajectory here, um, either as a professional in practice who's still embodying these old habits that are getting in their way and they see it, but they don't know how to make change. They want to change their path and they're not sure what the options are, or they're in the system learning in residency fellowships. And they're like, what the heck am I in here? Because I'm not feeling so good about myself. I think what you've touched about, touched on there is about the culture in these organizations. Like it's about how, how do these workplace environments make people feel? How do we set a standard for how people simply treat each other? <laughs> and, some organize, some, and some organizations do it very well. Exactly. Um, I've seen a lot of, say, for example, private sector organizations do it really well. And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of public sector smaller organizations that do it really well but pockets of them but particularly within the NHS as a whole you know it's a bit potluck as to whether you get an environment where you feel all of those things you feel valued you feel heard you're not attacked (laughs) when you do something wrong (laughs) you're like a human being you're given time off and I think you know a lot of that will it filters down from the pressures on government nhs leadership etc etc and so for those going moving on to my next question for those doctors who are high performing they're overworking they don't know how to stop and there is a lot of guilt surrounding that please could you give us some thoughts on what what kind of things could they do to try and overcome and address those kind of issues Sure. And, you know, at some point, I want to hear more from your perspective, too, about how you made the pivot to start Medic Footprints, um, because that that became the avenue for you, right? That became the way that you were going to make your contribution in the world and take care of why you got into medicine in the first place. Yeah, um, the journey right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so what can what can they do? Um Find the leader or the colleague who has influence and have some conversations and make some requests about what you need to take care of yourself, what you need to do your best work for them and, and not at the expense of your well-being. And well-being is all. It's not just physical health, mental health. It's also your relationships, your life. So you, you need to find who can you get the listening from who has influence to make decisions. And if you can't find that person, then you're in a different situation. And that, you know, that's usually where you get this call to, do I stay or do I go? Mm. 
I think a lot of doctors do face that because the problem is, especially with these really large organisations, it's very difficult to find the person who can genuinely make a, a significant difference in your life and the way that you work. And you'll find a lot of em- empathetic ears in that process, 100%. But are they able to genuinely change things to a point where that will be enough? That's not always the case. I mean, I, I'm even saying right. this from occupational health <laughs> or, you know, physician perspective, whereby we talk about flexible working and adjustments and all of that jazz. And you find just even from department to department, some can be accommodating, others not so much because of the, simply because of the pressures and demands on that particular right. department. Yeah, and you're kind of pointing to, so we've, I've been really sort of focused on the, that acute care pathway. Yeah. Um, but when you look at the system as a whole, you know, I used to say when I was teaching nursing students and undergrad health science students, you know, and I would say, don't repeat this, <laughs> but I think we need to blow it up and start again in many ways, like retain the bits that are working, but I think we need new thinking around how do we have a sufficient number of professionals working to take care of patients such that we can have the time off we need to take care of ourselves. We can create different career paths for people to work on different different areas of skill development and learning, project work, teaching, mentorship, research, um, and build a, a robust career path versus just a service delivery path. Mm-hmm. Those positions are hard to come by. So if you can't find um, if you can't find a way to influence the system you're in, then you really are in a question of this is my life. What do I want? And what are the options? And who can I have a conversation with to start to bust open some of those options so I can see them? Because they, they're they really hard to see when you've only known of one pathway. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you have a lot. I'd love to hear what you say, you know, what your experience has been because not only did you experience that and start a company, but now you're listening to the voices of physicians who are now, you know, okay, I'm doing something different. That that's it. Yes, I mean, I have been at that in that. Do I say do I say or do I go? Point multiple times, numerous times throughout my career. I graduated in 2006 and within a year or so, I was like, was this the right thing for me? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I've stuck with medicine because essentially it's in in some ways, it's all I know in in some ways. Um, So I haven't completely divorced myself from it. And I, and to be honest, I I do really love because it's, it's such a diverse way of a profession. It's such a diverse profession. Right. So many opportunities within medicine. So actually being a doctor isn't, something that anyone can really define succinctly because it can vary so much even with like between specialties or within specialties like um so I'm really glad that I've stayed and found the right specialty for me which took some time I'm I originally wanted to go into obs and gynae and my first job was as an f my my foundation year jobs my first ever job as a doctor was working as an obs and gynae junior doctor and after those four months, because we had four month rotations, I realized that I absolutely did not want to become an Obsangani doctor. <laughs> Actually, to be honest, like I think at the time it was very much about the culture, the working culture, the way that doctors worked with midwives and other professionals. It just there seemed to be a lot of tension. 
Um, They're seem to be quite high stakes. And I actually got to the point, I'll be really honest about this. I got to the point where I felt like I was losing empathy for other women who were coming in, the patients. Um, I couldn't say why, but some point in medicine, when you start stop empathizing with your patients, you realize something's wrong. Um, and it's and it's either you or the, the work environment. And for me at that time, I realized it just wasn't the right profession for me. Um, so it wasn't my specialty for me. And I remember that the other the second time I developed a lack of empathy or relative lack of empathy where I was listening, but I wasn't as tuned in as I usually am, was when just before I became burnt out. Um, a few years, well, not a few years ago, I was I was working as an occupational medicine uh, trainee, and it, again, burnout is a very long. It's a, it can be a, it's usually a long process. I would say it's not something that happens overnight. But you might realise yeah. it overnight when you get to a crisis point. Um, and I think for me, that was one of the red flags. Again, not really. I can only say this now, reflecting on it and having been through, you know, gone through therapy and CBT and all of that stuff to really recognise early like what the problems were and what that you know the kind of nuanced things that occur as you're going down this kind of slippery slope because I've never yeah. been there before um but but yeah so I think you know going so going through my general career pathway yes I've created this organization this business around my own journey that is continuing um you know there have been many shall I stay or still I go moments um I'm still practicing as an occupational health physician now having changed from surgery so I ended up going into general surgery trauma surgery urology as you can see like even within surgery I was looking for what is the right specialty within sur- surgery for me ended up with urology loved it but then recognized that even though I loved urology I couldn't see it as a long-term thing for me um I I'm the kind of person that gets bored very easily I like variety uh, I like challenge and this is where I think medic footprints has really come in uh because it is really challenging I'm really passionate about it I love I love 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 supporting doctors in their journeys uh, hearing about their stories connecting them with various opportunities seeing them grow over the years and really making an impact in different ways um, because that actually has a massive impact on the world. I say the world, but I actually do mean the world. And because you end up, they end up and end up in either influential positions where they, they're key decision makers in, say, the healthcare system or other companies, or they're moving away from medicine where they probably weren't contributing what they could because they were stressed or burnt out, or whatever, and probably underperforming to a place where they are much more self-satisfied, they feel supported. And they are thriving in whatever they choose to do, whether that's healthcare or not. I think those are the things that really, really mo- motivate me to really grow the organization globally. Because, you know, when I started it, again, it, I thought, OK, this is a UK problem. But I, we all know very clearly now it is definitely not just a UK problem. It's a global problem. Um, and I'm, I'm going to come back to you now because I feel like I've spoken too much. Yes. No, I actually want to pick up. I want to pick up on some of what you said because um, no, I thank you for sharing because it, as I was listening to you, I'm like, so we were saying, should I stay or should I go? But it's also, or should I just reinvent what I'm doing? I which I hear you did a couple of times. 
Yeah. You know, and And I think that will still continue to be honest. Right. This is so, so I mean, going back to where I seem to have stuck and haven't changed that much is occupational medicine, because that really, I really, I really love what I do. It suits my lifestyle as well as the practice that I want to be doing right now. And then medic footprints, that's something that I've done for now eight years, nine years again because I'm so passionate about it because it's changing it's a dynamic market and the problem is still there I think when when I when we get to the point hopefully when the problem is solved I will have probably moved on already (laughs) that kind of person (laughs) Uh, but I can't actually see it being solved anytime soon um but yeah when doctors get to that should I say or should I go I think one of the biggest challenges they face is actually gaining clarity on what what the best next steps for them for themselves is and as a result of that because they can't gain the clarity or make that decision they're not procrastinating and then there's a lot of inaction inertia and you know they become static in their career yeah and I, I don't know if you experience this but I hear this in my clients when they start questioning you know what else what else is there for me and it's almost like should I be asking that after all those years of school, after all the investment I've made, there, there can be this assessment of what's wrong with me that I can't just be happy with where I am. I work so hard to get here. And I think it's actually, you know, acknowledging that that's a, that's a feeling or a perception that you have. And it's absolutely okay to want to grow again, yes. to want to take what you've learned and use it in a way that allows you to take care of what you care about today. Because when you started out in this profession, you likely didn't have the same level of complexity in your life that you might have now. Different cares, they shift, they adapt, you grow, you evolve. So how can you take what you enjoy, as you've pointed to, I, you noticed what you enjoyed, you noticed what you didn't enjoy, you knew you needed to have some kind of challenge, diversity, and what you face each day so you could keep learning and you still wanted to make a difference and you believed in that part of what you were doing. So find those gems that you um, are good at, that you um, you want to continue to learn and start to reshape where you can do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and as you pointed to, if you, so I was married for 19 years. I'll just share that. I don't talk about this much. And he was a family physician who mid, midway, probably at the 10-year mark, decided to be um, an obstetrician gynecologist oh. and went back. We had, we had our, our third was just born when he started a four-year residency program wow. full-time. And I can tell you that the difference between when he started medical school and res- his first internship and residency for family physician to when he finished... I mean, he had a whole different bucket of cares and concerns before no kids, then three kids. Right. And so, so it's okay to let yourself say, I need to do something different. Family medicine, whatever the surgery program isn't for me. Everything you've learned along the way is value add. You will take it with you and reuse it in a different way. It's not like a mistake. Uh So I'm not sure. I was trying to get back to that question of like, how do you, how do you help people who are in this space of should I stay or should I go? But maybe it's like, how do I reshape my career 
So that I'm doing more of what I love, more of where I bring my, you know, my sweet spot skill set um, and let go of some of the things that are really just depleting me. And I, I really love to hear you speak because it sounds like a really excellent coach. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like in some ways I'm being coached because you're, you're kind of summarizing or rephrasing exactly what I've said, but rephrasing it in a way that actually makes me realize what, you know, my, my thought process with this journey, right. And uh, what I've achieved in, in doing what I've done and, you know, coming to one of my last questions and, because I, I obviously I speak to a lot of doctors one to one, and I end up giving them the same advice, which is please invest in a career coach or a life coach <laughs> yeah. to really help you gain clarity. Could you give us an overview of what? So you know what what should someone and say a doctor for these purposes? What should they really expect from coaching? What is the value add? to their journey if they are considering changing careers. Right. And I think, I think you've sort of hit it. it it's a, a coach is a listener, right? They're, they're bringing a unique observer to the conversation. So yes, I have a healthcare background, for example, but I don't know what it is to walk in your shoes. My observer is different than yours, how I see the world. My, your, your life experiences are different than mine. So a, a coach should bring that deep listening to be able to help you see what is not visible right now, where, where you're bumping up against repeated um, thoughts or patterns of behavior that are holding you back from seeing what else is possible for you. <laughs> what did you ask me? Did you ask me what makes a good coach or how do you, how do you, what, why should they work with a coach? I said, yeah, well, Sorry. value out of coaching when, when doctors get to this point, right? Actually, should I stay or should I go? Yeah. Why should they consider investing in a coach? And what should yeah. they expect? Okay, good. So I was kind of on track because then you yeah, get- Yeah, you were getting there. <laughs> I was getting there because then you have this listener that's seeing things differently. Yeah. And they can offer you questions that will have you rethink some patterns of thinking you might be caught in. Um, and then designing some, what do you want? Like helping you identify what is it you really care about? What's your good life look like? Um, what's the story that you got to be, you got to keep doing what you're doing because this is what you said you wanted to do. Well, is, you know, why don't we challenge that? Is that still true for you today? Totally cool. If it's not, let's have a look, right. And see what will bring you vitality, joy, appreciation for all that you already have. Yeah. You know, um, so that's a really soft way of answering the question. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because the way I usually try and describe coaching is that will, they will help you gain clarity as to how to approach and problem solve your career sure. challenges, whether it's leaving medicine, whether it's staying in medicine, whether it's doing something entirely different, whether it's just making decisions within decisions. Uh, you know, you shouldn't expect a, a coach to tell you what to do. Absolutely that's not. That's a mentor is for. <laughs> Right. And, and you can't yeah. get coaching and mentoring in the same kind of package. Right. Um, but it's really important to be able to differentiate the two. So you know what to expect. Well, and I think a good coach and I've had many, so I'm really appreciative of all the great coaches I've had in my, I've almost always had a coach. They will really help you 
by listening and sharing back. They'll help you see what it is you really want when you can't see it. And I think when we can get to that, designing actions and practices, that's sort of the easier part when you have the clarity. Um, But a, a good coach will help you really get at what is it you want for your life, for your career? What's the impact you want to make? And, and how do you want to experience that going forward? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And they won't tell you what to do. No. They will they not tell you what to do. And oh. if they do, get a new coach. Get a new coach. Right? I will say, you know, if you are actively looking for a coach, try a few out. Yes. <laughs> because it is a very personal decision and your friend's coach may not be the coach for you. Um, so yeah, play the field a bit in the sense that, I mean, on medic footprints, for example, we have a, a selection of coaches who we know specifically work with doctors. Um, obviously there's your, yourself, Amy in Canada, cause we know that coaches work internationally now. With Absolutely. Yeah. Stuff. So, you know, there's, there's plenty of options out there and, uh, to take your time, but just make sure it's the right person for you to be working with. Just like an athlete has a coach, a doctor needs a coach. Yeah. Yeah. And I I would say, you know, if if they're into tactics, tactics are important, but to shift the embodied experience you've had to get to where you are today is going to take more than tactics. So, so be open to exploring that with a coach too. And it's not therapy, so it's different. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, that comes to the end of our, no already (laughs) and i want to say thank you so much obviously this could continue forever yeah um but i really appreciate your time and your insights and if anyone wants to get hold of you how do they best do that amy oh well i have a podcast which you're going to be a guest on soon uh called the feminine edge and it really focuses on women leading in health and health impact sectors and so you can find me there, The Feminine Edge. I'm on all the podcast players. Or you can go to insideedge.ca and you can check out my programs, The Impact Incubator and Vitality Women Leaders. Brilliant. She said it. Thank you so much, Amy. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you.